On today's episode of the First Corner Podcast, the plight of Daniel Ricardo. Something fundamental or can he save his season? Plus, we catch up on the rest of the grid and stack up some of our earlier season predictions. Sergio Perez, Alonso, Leclerc and Sainz. Stay with us for the next half an hour. I was thinking also just about um, retracing some of the kind of the predictions we had made in in previous podcasts. Sure. Um, some have stood up well, some not so much, <laughs> namely a couple of my own. But so Perez, and you you need to take a lot of credit for this. Um, we have noticed a point that you brought up, and it, it we just keep saying it time and time again, uh, where you basically explained if it's a it's a, if it's a rear limited circuit, Perez. Those are the ones that he is very, very good at. If it's a front-limited circuit, he seems to just wear out his tires or he's just not getting the most out of it in the way that Verstappen is. But if it's rear-limited, and what we mean by rear-limited is um, basically street circuits for the most part. Short-duration corners, 90-degree corners, where it, it, it's not the, the, the front of the car that is the limiting factor in the grip. It's what can the rear take. And yeah, under he, traction and under acceleration, basically. Yeah, and, and he, he's like, he, he turned it around. I mean, I, I was thinking the start of the season, it looked like it was all maybe a bit, this being thrust into the spotlight might be a bit much for him. But um, he's looking, he's looking a really, he, he's looking the best number two that Verstappen's had by quite some distance unless you want to call Ricardo a number two but that that was more of a clash of number ones you know tend to agree I think um I think with Sergio Perez the most telling point of that was like obviously his qualifying he's still not quite there and he's still not quite kind of roughly qualified at the pace deficit you would think he has to Verstappen but yeah. more more often than not, he's kind of underperformed in qualifying um, yeah. this year. But what he has done in the races on certain circuits like Baku, he has done an amazing job of protecting uh, his rear tires throughout the stint. And it got to the point whereby when that first stint in Baku happened, like Sergio Perez very nearly overcut Verstappen because he had held on to his rear tires for so long. His in lap yeah. was extremely quick, and only by the fact that they had a slightly bodged pit stop, a two second delay pit yes. stop, yeah. that Perez would have actually got ahead. He, he just has a maturity in his driving and how to get from the end of a race. And there's um, there was a good article on the Motorsport Motorsport magazine uh, website where they were talking about tire engineers, a former tire engineer from Bridgestone working working at the Force India team, which then became Racing Point, which then became Aston Martin. He was like the the head technical director of Bridgestone back in the days of the tyre wars. And he was put in as Aston Martin's tyre guru. And one driver who's really benefiting from him this year, and lately he started doing okay, is Sebastian Vettel. Like, this guy came up with the idea of, in 2013, he, when the tyres were like, you know, like raw eggs to drive on, like, push them anyways and they were gone. He came up with the idea by getting greater stint lengths, he would swap the rotation of the rear tires and make them face back to front and he was getting longer stint lengths out of it like he was one of the only people who thought of that in the whole paddock mm. so it's so this guy's like and Perez has really benefited from someone like that and i think red bull are, are now benefiting from the likes of that because that at the beginning of the year their tire their rear tires were a bit sensitive to blistering and overheating mm. and it seems mm. like having someone like Perez in there is it's valuable information to them you know and mm. Mm. they're much more on top of it anyway 
I'm, I'm going into a segue about Sergio Perez, but I think, yeah, at Baku, he brought the bacon home and he did mm-hmm. the job and he, you know, he, he's now a proven deliver, deliverable, safe pair of hands, taken yeah. up the, taken up the, he's, he's fitting into that role well. It's almost like he's comfortable in that role. He's not trying to outdo himself to beat Verstappen, was like yes. to say Albon and Gasly were trying to prove themselves. Yeah. What's, yeah. what's with Sergio is like he's in the stage of his career where he doesn't need to. It's like he, everyone knows what he's good at and mm-hmm. they know what's capable of. And that actually brings up an, an interesting conversation about Red Bull per se, because now we're looking at some other drivers like Daniel Ricciardo and some predict the prediction that you called out in the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix podcast that we did. It was you really highlighted the fact that there was an absolute chasm of a gap between Ricardo and Norris. And we were kind of given Ricardo the benefit. Well, I was given Ricardo the benefit of the doubt, but it really seems like it's just not, not really living up to the job at McLaren to try and beat Norris. And I expected a lot more from him. Yeah. I think, um, I know we've talked about this before, but I guess for the, for the purposes of the podcast, it's worth going into that, um, listening to Mark Hughes and a few of the other ones on the race talk about what's going on with Ricardo. There was a conversation that, uh, who was it? Yeah. Carlos Sainz had with Ricardo. I don't know if Mark Hughes was, uh, he overheard the conversation or if he was just uh, he was told about it by one of them but basically that ricardo got chatting to science and science said oh yeah no that mclaren yeah it's it's weird to drive it's very strange uh yeah i had to do all this with it you know i had to do a b c and d to get my head around it but once once you've you've got your head around it, it it's good as gold sort of thing um and what they were basically saying was that the car has actually been developed around Norris's strengths. And what Norris has managed to do is um, something of a rarity in the Pirelli era is, and it's almost a throwback to Bridgestone days. Yeah, where basically uh, he's trail breaking into corners. So what he's doing effectively is he's he's overlapping his braking and his turning into the corners, which gets the car rotated faster through it which in an orthodox situation is just it's like the pirelli tires are not compatible with that uh they can only do sort of one or the other sort of lateral braking or uh, longitudinal you know it's like you have to do it one at a time somehow norris is dancing it in between he's it's like a venn diagram he's got it in between the lateral and longitudinal braking and he's just sitting on that and getting the car pointed into all the corners which if you think about it like if you look at his performances and the the speed he's getting out of it a that's impressive that he's able to do that that, that's just really impressive but b it means wow okay you know what would the car look like if you're not uh maximizing its performance in that way well what it looks like is daniel ricardo like qualifying down in 13th 14th just going hot and cold from uh stint to stint and being all over the place and the most sort of striking thing about all of this is in that ra- the race podcast the way they were talking about it of course they they know ricardo like you know they chat to him um they have to keep a good um rapport with the guy they're not gonna outright you know slate him or uh criticize him directly without without justification really Solid. yeah and and the narrative that they were spinning from this was that okay we've had what was it six races or something at that stage maybe it'll take a little longer but that's the reason why he's struggling but the way i everything they were telling me that i was hearing was okay no the car is just fundamentally not suited to him and it it's a it's a really fundamental thing like it's it's not a tiny little thing you adjust it's that it's a comes big thing yeah it comes down to how you as a driver fundamentally feel grip and that's a, a deeply innate thing 
a know? nail on the head. Exactly what it is. You ben. know, and yeah. and like I just think he's done this year. Like I'm calling it now. I, I uh, he might get a bit closer. Norris might sort of switch off a bit. Like and and I I hope I'm wrong. I, I want to see him come back, but in that car, unless they somehow change the chassis or change something pretty fundamental for Ricardo, he's he's almost effectively in a slower car than Norris because Norris is able to access more grip than what he is because of the way that he's driving it. You know, so it, it's almost like there's three or four tenths that are just closed off to Ricardo. Absolutely. So, you know, that's that's the thing. The, and exactly, yeah. it's the circuits. It's the circuits where you have to the tight corners that require a quick rotation change and getting the car rotated and, and pointing towards the next straight to get earlier on the throttle. Like they're the ones that like Austria, particularly funny enough, I was listening to the radio and qualifying between the two uh, engineers, uh, between Lando Norris's and Ricardo's engineers. And I was listening and I was going and all the time you could hear time loss out of turn two and three, you know, that kind of thing. Like IE where you're trying to rotate the car and get straight on the power as quick as you can. And as you say that, that Venn diagram of what Norris is able to do, it, it seems like whatever he's doing with the with the McLaren, he leaves a tiny gap in between his brake and throttle. He lets a little coast happen, and mm. it seems to get the front in much faster. And Ricardo just isn't tuned into that at all. That's just mm-hmm. it's not in his it's not right now within his within his scope as a driver. Like he's braking right as you say, he's doing the trail braking right up to the apex. Uh, he's overwhelmed the front tire. And he and he's understeer on the exit, and he can't get the car rotated quicker to get on the throttle. And if you've yeah. got a long straight ahead of you, that point one of a gap at the start of the straight becomes point three or point four at the end of it. And he was five tenths mm. down on Norris and qualifying around Austria of all tracks. You know, <laughs> one of the shortest circuits yeah. in the year. Um, I tend to agree with you, Ben. I think that Ricardo just hasn't right now. He's going through a little bit of what he did to Vettel back in twenty fourteen. Or yes, um, he's going to go. He's going through that tough phase. Can he adapt is the thing, and it doesn't look like he is. It, it just doesn't look like he's adapted to that McLaren at all. Mm. But it's also, I'm listening to his body language to see, is there frustration there? Is there anger creeping in there? Because you could, you've seen him in the days when uh, things were going wrong against Verstappen. You could, see the, you could see the emotion there. You could see the anger and the frustration and the hatred mm. there, you know, just through problems happening to his Red Bull. How long before we start to see that in the McLaren? How long before he starts getting frustrated and he really yeah. needs to get on top like the engineer you can hear the engineers they're trying to coax him telling him where his time loss is and telling mm. him where he's getting better but it just it's like that he's he's improving throughout the weekend in the way you, exactly as you said it he his 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 rate of improvement as the track ramps up and grip is the same but it's just his starting point is so much lower so he yeah. can never get to like around somewhere like barcelona where he was quicker than uh norris pretty much the whole weekend like there wasn't that many tight direction change corners there might have been one or two towards sector three but largely it was it was a strong performance for him as track he knew well and yeah. like that, that overlap and breaking it really comes into its own in the tight corners yeah. as exactly as you say and in the slightly medium and higher speed corners it's not so much a penalty so somewhere like silverstone you could see ricardo being ahead of ours yeah he'll make a big comeback and they'll say oh it's something to do with you know being back in the uh the commonwealth it sort of re-energized them and he's just feeling good or you know got his mojo back or whatever other sort of human aspect to the story that they can uh try and weave into this narrative but i think that all it really is is there will be weekends where he'll be right up with norris and that's just more or less down to track characteristics and maybe well but it may well be in his head he's thinking yeah i feel good this weekend but again it comes back to that point where we're saying about confidence comes as a, a result or a byproduct of you know 
technical ability. So, of course, he's going to feel good about himself if he sees that he's right there with Norris. You know, yes. but then the, it works the other way. If he sees that he feels like he's driving every bit as effectively and yet he's looking at the lap times and he's half a second slower than Norris around a sort of, you know, one minute, five second circuit, uh, scratching his head, that's got to be demoralizing. And it is truly the first time he's come up, he's come across this in his F1 career. And that, again, it could be like, I think he's he's well designed and <laughs> he's able to absorb a lot of knocks because he just is a, a very happy and positive person. And I think that'll always count in his favor. But there's no question, he, he just looks a little bit quieter, a little bit more sheepish this year because he knows like he, uh, nice, funny guy, Ricardo. He, he's still not got quite as much to shout about this year, uh, no matter how sort of. Yeah. personable uh, a personality he is that's why um, it doesn't carry through if you're not performing isn't that it like it's yeah. and it's, and it's funny and it's funny we're talking about this but my wife leslie's a massive ricardo fan and yeah. like this weekend she's just like i'm just sick of him now because he's not winning <laughs> you know and then not because you know and she loves him through the personality but she knows you know he she's seen ricardo pull off some amazing wins in the red bull and and naturally you know you, you get a skew towards that driver but when she sees like the the, the computer gamer uh nerd lando norris outperforming every week you know you're not much of an yeah. alpha male then are you it's like it's, <laughs> yeah exactly you know and and it, it, it it's, it's his reputation that's on the line here and yeah. yeah, we are being critical of him. The only slither, the only slither of hope I would give Ricardo right now is that in 2019, it, he did take a similar length to get used to the Renault, and once he got used to the Renault, Hulkenberg was comfortably in the shade every weekend, sort of right. from the from the back end of that year. So mm. maybe if there's something, if he can crack the code and get in that Venn diagram, there's every mm. chance he could be quicker than Norris. But yeah, it just hasn't been seen, and you, you can't keep using the excuse of tracks that'll suit him. You have to be able to adapt. You just have to look at Fernando Alonso, and we go back to again. It's funny when we did our podcast on the greatest drivers, we were we had a podcast completely you know full of praise for Fernando Alonso and what happens the next two races Esteban Ocan puts him in the shade and we're like all right that doesn't look difficult. so good yeah. difficult exactly but it, like that for um almost since Ocan's got his contract signed for three years on the on the perform on the back of outperforming Alonso Alonso yeah. now all of a sudden is getting back on is is pretty much on top of the car and putting some distance between himself and Esteban Ocon again which is uh, yeah. great to see great to see and never forget he's been out of the sport for what two years so yeah. i think it's I, I think that's worth an awful lot yeah um no alonso is just truly tried and tested you know he is um he's like if you look at f1 as an experiment in measuring the fastest drivers he's like the control uh group of this uh scientific experiment you know he, he is just um you know kind of like if you're measuring a drug against a placebo in a study He's the placebo. He's he's what's being measured against because you just you know even when he's having a bad spell, he'll still somehow he'll he'll figure it out. Um, whereas as we're saying with Ricardo, yeah, he's he's no uh, newbie to the sport, but we are seeing something for the first time that we hadn't seen before. Um, we are finding out something more about Ricardo that we hadn't seen before. Whereas with Alonso, I I honestly think you know. Ocon is uh, a pretty decent driver, a tough enough teammate to come back into the sport against in, in these, what are, must be quite unusual cars to drive. Uh, he had been out of the sport for what, what was it, two years. There's bound to be a reacclimatization re phase. But um, I guess just to lastly to touch on what you were saying about like uh, how Ricardo did get on top of, um, yeah, it was, it was Ocon, wasn't it, at Renault um, as his teammate. I've got that right, haven't I? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, 
I see that almost as that was a process of trial and error. I think with with Ricardo, okay, he hadn't yet got on top of the car, but if he just kept chiseling away at it, he'd eventually find that setup, that sweet spot. Whereas from everything I'm hearing about uh, what the, this car, this McLaren that he's driving, it, it, it is, it's a truly deeply fundamental issue that it's it's almost like you just either have it or you don't. And this one car seems to expose this uh, small area of his driving where he just doesn't have that capacity to do what it is that Norris is doing. You know, like yeah. I, I could be wrong on that, but from everything I've uh, read and listened to and what I understand about the situation, it is that fundamental. It would almost be like um, Maradona being asked to play with his right foot. You know, he can yes. work on it, he'll improve it, but it'll never be as good as what his left foot was, you know. Absolutely. Um, hope I'm wrong, but it, it is, it's interesting just, you know, it's, you got to be quite sort of tough on these drivers because we are measuring them against, you know, the all-time greats, uh, you know, in Verstappen and Hamilton, and they're compa- compared against, you know, Senna and Schumacher. Uh, Alonso as and, well. Yeah, Alonso, and ultimately it, it's a, uh, it's kind of a compliment. It's a back. It's a backhanded compliment to Ricardo. The fact that we are being this hyper analytical and critical of him is because it's like, hold on, this this makes the difference between you being a true all time great in the sport yes. and being, you know, someone who was just one of those really good drivers for a particular era that ultimately gets forgotten about. That's what we're discussing. So. Yeah. It may seem like a small thing, but actually it'll it counts for an awful lot, you know. It, but, it's another you know. piece of the multifaceted puzzle. And funny mm. enough, one last thing to touch on with Ricardo, something that Alonso mentioned, because he was asked about, oh, your form is good, where is this coming from? And Alonso said, I think I'm on top of the tires now. And mm. the Pirelli is a stiffer, it's a stiffer construction of tire this this year, so its grip is different. And like as you say, the McLaren could just be in that awkward window that um that's exaggerated even further. That like mm. for example, that trail breaking thing that you're talking about, he could just be overwhelming the grip from that tire and he's just not able to get the grip in as he turns in the steering wheel. So yeah. You know, yeah. um we're um, all experts, I suppose. <laughs> but <laughs> well no, it's I mean, um the the reason I dwell on that so much, there's a fantastic article that Mark Hughes wrote back in I think twenty twelve where he just talked about like what is it that makes the difference between uh the elite drivers and all the rest. I'm like well, essentially what what makes a driver fast and the most fundamental thing is their innate feeling of grip um and they're in it it's like their inner gyros you know for when they're swaying left to right in a corner what it is that they feel underneath them yes uh kind of in the same way that you know as a kid when uh, you're on some road trip your your parents are taking you somewhere and you you go on a country road and you go over a dip and you, like over a crest and then you go over the dip and you know you feel your stomach lift you feel the pit in your stomach exactly yeah, yeah everyone yeah, yeah. Everyone feels that, but not everyone feels it in the exact same way. Some people go, woo, and, and they love it. Like, they're the people who get on the roller coasters. And then there's other people who are like, oh, I, I didn't like that. It overwhelms them, you know? And it's kind of like that with driving, in that um, if you approach a corner, whatever sensations you're feeling in the car, they're sending you signals, which then inform you reflexively 
as to where you're meant to be putting the steering wheel. Um, and you're sensing that through your body. You don't read that in a book. You don't learn it in a manual. There's no driving coach that can truly uh, impart that information onto you. It's like, it's genetic, it's innate, it's it's instantaneous. It's it's all the uh, stuff that you're picking up that isn't, you're not even consciously understanding. It's all feel. And it, it's just the most fundamental aspect. It, it's like what a first touch is to a footballer. You know, it's kind of like that, only it's, you know, this is what it is for racing. And yeah, it's like if, if your first touch goes as a footballer, you know, you're you're pretty screwed. Yes. You can adapt your game, but you'll never be the same again. Absolutely. I kind of see it like that with Ricardo. But anyway, not to... not to, you Which know, went on Ricardo a good bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so. Another guy I want to chat to or talk about a little bit is Leclerc and Sainz and kind of where we think they are at this stage. What's your opinion on Sainz and Leclerc? since the last time we discussed yeah well um again kind of ironic i remember an, an early podcast me saying oh it sounds a bit of a slow starter but really what we were saying was just the uh all the drivers who, who changed teams were off to a slow start and yet he has made um arguably the best start i'd say along with um perez now uh of the drivers who switched teams um and i think the, the more i see leclerc the more i see him as it was like i was saying for Sappen, if he's the natural heir to schumacher i almost see leclerc as the natural heir to hamilton um i see him as this out and out racer who is ringing the neck of that car but there's something also sort of like fragile and human about him. You know, it's not this relentless yes. machine in the way that Schumacher and I think Verstappen is. Yeah, and, I uh, agree. Yeah, so, I mean, he's an extremely good benchmark. Um, and the more he keeps uh, excelling that car and like that, you know, the lap he did in Monaco was fantastic. Uh, and, and Baku, yeah, that was probably, that's arguably the lap of the season in, in some respects um, to get pulled there. Um, Science is, he's got a tough barometer that he's up against, but he's right there. He's kind of, he's, I don't even, I almost want to say the ultimate number two driver and that he, he's in that zone just between being a, a number one, but being too good to call him a number two driver, you know? Yes. Um, but, and he's also so mature, so grounded. Apparently, you know, Carlos Sainz Sr. Uh, was really tough on him, like growing up, you know, he he, uh, he was a real hard ass as a, as a father, you know, uh, a lot of tough love the way he brought him up, apparently. Yeah, I, I just see Sainz, he's got all the ingredients to, you know, if, if things were to go for him, I, I could see him challenging for a world championship at some point. Um, you know, it, it would just depend on the competitive order of the field and who's in what car. But he, he he's pretty much he's able for it. But I, yeah, I think um, to touch on all of those things really is is just the pleasant surprise about Ferrari. We if we rewind before the start of this year. We certainly didn't expect them to have scored two pole positions this year. And, the hands of um, Leclerc, exactly. And their, their straight line speed deficit isn't as bad as we thought it would be. Uh, and as we've just said, they've, they've got two amazing drivers um, who are getting a lot out of that car. You know, you think back to Vettel and Raikkonen, and when Vettel wasn't doing it, it was like, geez, you, you're exactly. only getting you 50% out of that car with those two. You know? Yeah. You can't get you can't put that down to the drivers. I think with Ferrari, they don't have a, a driver deficit. They've got a probably arguably the strongest lineup of drivers in in any team. My kind of analogy with Leclerc and uh, Science is like Leclerc is almost like one of these I don't know 16th, 17th century Stratosuvius uh, tuned violin. You know, like he'll 
he's got an amazing sweet spot with the car and in qualifying and his race his comeback today was fantastic uh, but it's like like that it's almost like it's it's as you say the fragility is a little bit there you pluck a string wrong and then the string breaks and it's gone mm. uh while science is like one you go down to the violin shop and you buy the newest made one and it will be i'm not sure if that makes sense at all from yeah. a music no, I get you. well again it's that pragmatic sort of thing he's got that maturity you know yeah um, he, he's not throwing the to- toys out of the pram the fact that he's not quite got the ultimate pace on Leclerc most weekends. Uh, he's kind of doing to Leclerc what Button was doing to Hamilton for a while, you know. Only I actually think he's kind of, he, he's more uh, adaptable than Button. That's where the analogy breaks down, um, you know. I, I, I don't think he's his, um, what's the word? A strong wet weather driver is what he is, funny enough, just like yeah. Button. Uh, but does yeah. have, seem to... Like that, he's one of these. He's one of these drivers who was extremely strong and not, and adapts himself across a range of track surf. And like yeah. he gets that basically from his dad, who was a rally driver. And yeah, that's so that, cool. And, and that and that is what science's kind of biggest strength was. But it's funny when he was up against Hulkenberg, he didn't exactly look like he was. It's only towards the back end of his last season with Hulkenberg that he started to put some air between himself and Hulkenberg, mm-hmm. much in the way Ricardo did. So it's kind yeah. of going. And like all these drivers are all former teammates in one way or another of Max Verstappen and. Obviously, Verstappen himself is driving at a great level this year. And I kind of wonder, with all these different teammates who've now been with Verstappen, how do we truly gauge him? Because we've often said that Red Bull is like the new e-car. It's it's the new e-spec of car where you get your pilot to the rocket ship and you go with it. But he's had a range of teammates and, and like the, the, the mediocre drivers like Gasly, who's kind of reappraising himself slowly but surely. But we, how quick that Alpha Tauri really is, we don't know. And yeah, um, yeah. obviously Alex Albon had a had a nightmare of a season against him last year. Uh, but before that, it, it looked like how much is, you know, as you say, Verstappen does have this kind of machine like approach to delivering a weekend much in the way that Schumacher did. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of wonder if you were to put Leclerc, who seems to be like a lot of people are, are would go as far and would make a solid case for, for Leclerc being the quickest driver and over one lap in mm-hmm. Formula One. And there's probably is a serious argument to be made for that, uh, considering his gap to Vettel. Like, for example, I think if you put Ricardo and Vettel in the same car, which he did in 2014, and if you put Leclerc and Vettel in the same car, Leclerc looked like considerably quicker than Vettel. You know, yeah convincingly um, quicker than ricardo was then so they're the two barometers he has so if you were to put leclerc and verstappen in the same car it's like mm, yeah it could be the thing like you say you would say that the peak driver would be leclerc and then verstappen is the delivering machine who just delivers yeah, all the time yeah that's actually you've, you've pretty much brought it exactly around to the point i was gonna try and make there if it can because it, it might sound a bit abstract and sort of there's no way to quantify this or prove it but I kind of have this work in theory that, you know, the way we're saying Hamilton, uh, he's quite an emotional driver and, you know, he, he gets these tremendous highs from these these emotions. And I genuinely believe that accesses uh, a level of performance that uh, isn't available to you if, you if you're not driven emotionally. And the reason I say that is that, like, it's it's been shown that uh, emotions, like, release all of these neurotransmitters that do various things, uh, one of the most important ones is dopamine and uh, that makes you more motivated but it doesn't only do that it also makes you more focused so it has this physiological effect where it makes you more focused and um, it also improves coordination so for example parkinson's disease is actually uh, a deficit of dopamine the reason they really struggle with the you know the, the shakes and all it's because it's a, a a deficiency of dopamine um so they would treat them with drugs that actually increase your dopamine well what 
I know this sounds really left field, but what I'm getting at here is if, if you're running on your emotions, you're almost like, it's like a drug, a performance enhancing drug that you're administering to yourself. And I've seen it time and time and time again in sport. When emotions are high, what can be done? Like Liverpool coming back from 3-0 down at halftime against uh, uh, AC Milan. In the space of six minutes, they pulled it back to 3-3, even though they were nowhere near as good as that team. Um, the things that Hamilton's been able to pull off when he's got the bit between his teeth and he's chasing down a driver, and he's, he's almost living out his fantasy of, you know, the driver who, like, catches the leader and you know, overtakes him on the last lap sort of thing. He loves that, and that's when it, it gets that extra 5 to 10% of performance out of him. I think with Verstappen, he's more of a sort of cold clinical uh, machine, and um, his his baseline is just so extraordinarily high that uh, he's He doesn't he's need rapid. to tap into it. Yeah, he's rapid all the time. However, I think when he's put like toe to toe with someone like Hamilton or like you just said with Leclerc, those guys when when they're in the mood, they can deliver something truly spectacular that Verstappen would just like like a, a robot look just looks at and does not compute. You know, he looks at the timing screens and how can that be? Yeah, and uh, it's just interesting. I see that with Leclerc, he's got these emotional highs that deliver incredible performance and that's why i think he's kind of uh he could emulate hamilton down the road but it's like which which one do you put your money on um and if you've already got a lead in the championship and you just don't want to screw it up and you don't want to throw it away i, I think you want that you want the the cold steel of the terminator you know you want for stopping <laughs> um and i and ironically like if you want someone to overhaul that gap you want the emotionally driven one because he needs something extra to overhaul that guy, you know. Funny enough, um, and, and, and Hamilton seems to be, not, not to go on about the Verstappen Hamilton too much, but he does seem to be approaching that kind of thing where the, his back is now against the wall and maybe we'll start to see more aggressive racing from him. But, yeah. you know, like those, in his head, that's what happened in 2017 and 2018, but in reality, it was Ferrari dropping the ball more than anything else. Yeah, but his his... His inner narrative was that he was transcending. He literally like sees himself as if he's got these angel wings on him, and it's like still I rise. I mean, he's got it written on the back of his yeah. bloody helmet, you know. Yeah, um, so, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like I, I think there's probably a bit of that with Leclerc. It's just that he's not as uh, obnoxious about showing it off on social media all the time. That's all for this episode, and thank you for listening. Join us next time for another episode of the First Corner Formula One Podcast.